try to give you some uh, a little insight from my life in terms of evangelical moments. You know, last week I told you about the Comcast fella. And this week, Linda and I were driving over to Fort Lauderdale uh, on Thursday to be with my son, you know, to celebrate Father's Day earlier during the week. And as we are in the, the rest stop on exit 63, because now what we find is that we can only go about 30 or 40 miles before we need to <laughs> find a rest stop. But I know you people don't have that issue. I know you don't have that issue. So as I'm walking the dog and Linda's using the facilities, I see this young lady on a phone, maybe in her late 20s, and very agitated. Uh, and finally, she comes up to me. And there's a lot of people in the parking lot. And she says, excuse me, sir, would you, I've just run out of gas. Would, would you take me to the nearest gas station? Uh, and uh, and I, I, she says, I thought, I'm not from this area. I just moved here. And I thought there were gas stations regularly on this road. Uh, and, and I said, well, is the car really out of gas? She says, well, it's really low. And I went and I looked in the gas thing, and it was like well below empty. Uh, so I, I said, well, let's, uh, let's see if we can get a Florida Ranger. No, they told me it's going to take more than two hours to get a Florida Ranger. Uh, and she said, you know, I would really appreciate it if you would drive me to the gas station and then drive me back. And I said, well, I said, you know, I said, we, we, could, we could drive you to the gas station, but, you know, we have uh, things to do and appointments. I don't think I can drive you back, but we'll make sure somebody's there to, to drive you back. So we, we put her in the car, and Linda's good. Linda said before she got, she sat in the car, Linda said, I know this sounds nutty, but would you open your purse so I could look inside? Because, you know, coming from where we come from, it would not be unusual for somebody to have a weapon to get you in your car, you know. So that's why Jesus say, says, you know, he wants you to be wise as a serpent. Don't be stupid. So we put this girl in the car. Uh, and I had this enormous feeling that God wanted me to speak to her. And so I said to her, I said, uh, are you a Christian? And she said to me, well, uh, yes, but I've really fallen away. You know, I don't really go to church uh, anymore. I said, well, do you recognize that there were many people in the parking lot and you came to me? Do you recognize that, in, in effect, God sent you guardian angels? Do you understand that God loved you so much that he directed you to the one person who would put you in his car and drive you to get gas? And, of course, she started to cry. Uh, and then we, you know, we talked about God and about the fact that she needed to get back to church. Um, and of course she, she'd been suffering because she had a, an uncle, close uncle who had recently committed suicide and didn't understand those issues. And I wanted to assure her, first of all, that was her uncle a Christian? He was. And I said, well, look, if he's a Christian, then he's in, he's in God's hands. I said, we, we understand that people suffer from so many different sicknesses and delusions, and that's a mental issue is like all the others. I said, so don't, don't, don't torture yourself, you know, that, you know, that you don't know where your uncle is. So we got her over to the gas station. We got her gas. Of course, we, you know, we direct her to a police officer who's there, and the police officer said, no, I can't bring you back. <laughs> That's out of my territory. I didn't realize that they had territories marked out 
for, you know, good works. <laughs> but I guess that's the way it is. So, of course, what did we do? Piled her back in the car with her gas can and drove her back to the thing and, and continued to have this discussion. And, and uh, uh, Linda gave her our, our card about coming to class uh, and how to reach us. And when she got out of the car, she had tears in her eyes. She had been crying. And I said, remember, this was a divine appointment. This is an example of how God cares about you and loves you. And she insisted on hugging Linda and coming over on the other side and hugging me. So here's another example, folks. All right? You see how when I tell you that God is calling you to evangelize, you don't have to be a preacher. There's no preaching involved. It's having a heart for the, for the uh, lost, a heart for God's work in every capacity. Uh, and be ready. Be ready to do that, okay? Uh, because these opportunities will come your way, and then only later on you're going to say, oh, maybe I should have, I would have. Uh, but God, God says do it now. Amen? Amen. 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 So that, that's, that's uh, my evangelical moment. All right, we are in Gospel of John chapter 15. I gave you the outline for verses uh, 15 to 17. I had a couple of uh, thoughts that I left unsaid from last week, which relate to verses 12 to 14. So effectively, what I want to do is read verses 12 uh, to 17. And this basically becomes a whole section on love. And, and Jesus is giving his command, the overarching command, to love one another. This is what separates us. This is what separates us from the world. This is what happens when you become a disciple of his and you're in a rest stop and somebody is in need, you do it because you have the love of Jesus in your heart. You understand? That's what this is about, and we want to focus on that. So if you follow along from verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command to love one another. So Jesus is telling us here, um, to love one another. And, he's, and it's amazing when you see the God of the universe speaking of friendship with us in terms of our relationship to him. Can you honestly imagine that, that the God of the universe, the God of creation wants to be your friend? I mean, you know, and, and, and here's the thing as we learn this lesson, it's this, it's that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, uh, I want to be a friend of God. But they don't understand what it means to be a friend of God. God calls us his friend, but it's a, it's a call on our life that requires us to obey him because that's how God measures friendship. After all, we can't give anything to God. He doesn't need us, all right? There's no equality in that relationship. He's, he's our creator. You know, it would be like you looking down at an ant and saying to an ant, oh, I love you. I want to be your friend. I mean, honestly, in, in that great, ridiculous, 
example that I've given you, you get an understanding of how imponderable it is that this great God wants to have a personal, unique relationship with you. And what does he ask? That you obey his commands. That you obey his commands, that you submit to him. Uh, And so let's understand how that relationship uh, is so unique uh, and, and how out of balance, how unequal it is. First, it is not, it is not appropriate to think of Ju- Jesus' sacrifice uh, in terms of human terms. You know, we talk about somebody giving their life, and, and we say, well, Jesus gave up his life, and we talk about it in terms of, of human uh, loss. Well, let's understand something. Jesus was immortal. So this God gave up immortality to become mortal. Wow. Wow. What's that like? Well, I can't even conceive of it. I can't explain it. But you can just kind of broadly outline in your mind how extraordinary that is that an immortal being would say, that's okay. I'll give it up. I'll give it up in order to save these people who I, who I love and I care for. So we know that, that uh, we will die. Every single one of us will die. He will never die. But he said, I will die. I will become a human being. I will give it up. Uh, and so there, there it is, the first major sacrifice. The second uh, sacrifice in terms of the death of Jesus was that he knew he would die. Not only is he fully human, remember this, don't ever let anybody tell you, well, Jesus didn't suffer. He suffered everything that you suffered and more. All right? He gave up the prerequisites of being the divine being in order to come to this world. God would periodically pour that divine prerequisite into his life when a miracle had to be uh, taken care of or some, you know, or some event of prayer had to take place. But Jesus walked around not as a divine being, but as a human being. Meaning what? He was not omniscient when he walked in this world. He was not omnipresent when he walked in this world. All right? And so he gave that all up and he knew he would die. He knew ahead of time. Uh, this is the call on my life. I will die. And he knew he would die on a cross in a terrible death. And yet he gave that all up. He gave that all up. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This verse really resonates with me. It means this, that before you came to God, He died on the cross with your name in his hand. He saw your name, Joe. I'm going to die for Joe. He is not not one of my own, but I know one day he will come to me, and I'm going to die on a cross. Can you imagine that? That God, in these sacrifices as he does this, he dies even while you are a sinner. Uh, And that's the story that you have to tell the world. And then the final, another reason why his death is so exceptional is this. And I never really thought about this until I really started to write and think and pray about it. And that is this. Jesus experienced spiritual death on the cross. We will never experience spiritual death. Jesus died for us. And at the moment that he died for us and we accepted him, we will never experience spiritual death. What do I mean by that? I mean being cut off from God. And yet Jesus, in order to be the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, 
at that moment when he became the sin bearer for all time and all the sins that had ever take pla- taken place in the world before that and all the sin that would take place after that were poured onto him like a sacrifice out of Leviticus 16, all right, when the Jews would sacrifice. And at that moment, uh, Jesus is cut off from God. It's at the very worst moment. Uh, and, 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 and when that happens, uh, effectively, he cries from his lips, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What a moment that had to be where the God of the universe is cut off from his only son, from the God of creation. Uh, and Jesus experienced that. You understand all of that, all of those things together give you a beginning insight into what an incredible love this is in terms of what God has done for us. Uh, and so none of us will ever experience spiritual death because of Jesus, because of what he had to do. And so now, if Jesus had required us in order to become his friends, a whole list of complicated things, well, then maybe you could say, well, I can see how perhaps some people couldn't be the friend of Jesus. But he doesn't. He makes it very simple. All he does and, and what we need to do as we present it to the world is to focus on the positive things of being a friend of Jesus, meaning that knowing that he cares for us, that he loves us, and that in order to be his children and to have his friendship, we merely need to serve him. We need to obey him, to be effectively uh, his hands and feet in, their, in his work. And so here's the thing, folks. There is no vacation from Jesus. There's no vacation from Jesus. I don't care where you go in the world or what you do or who you are with. There is no vacation from Jesus. And if you remember that, if you remember that, uh, it means that you need to be ready to do what he wants you to do wherever you are. I don't care if it's in Europe or it's in the United States or if it's in Naples or it's in New York City. You need to be ready to do what his call is for your life. It means to be yielded, not only yielded in our spirit, but yielded in body as well. We are yours, Lord. We will serve you. We will go where you want us to go. We will do what you want us to do. And so in these verses, in these last couple verses, Jesus calls his disciples his friends. Uh, and this whole chapter is about that. As Jesus is, is in his discourse, as it's called, Jesus' final discourse, is explaining so many uh, aspects uh, of our theology and what he is and who he is doing. But one of the things here is that he calls them his friends. Uh, and uh, in my research, there was only one person in the Bible that I could find who had the actual name as the friend of God, the actual friend of God. It was Abraham. Abraham. Now turn, if you would, to James chapter 2. The friend of God, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled about Abraham that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Amazing. Called God's friend. Look also, if you would, uh, to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I like to do this because we can use both the Old Testament and the New Testament to prove that it's one Bible on these issues. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7. 
Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, your friend. So the significance of this as the friend of God uh, is, is laid out uh, by God himself, really, in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. And this is where Abraham is visited by the three men, one of whom most likely is Jesus. All right? Uh, one of whom is most likely Jesus. Uh, and meeting with Abraham, and now as they depart, uh, the question becomes, they're going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and they're going to do an evaluation of Sodom and Gomorrah to see whether Sodom and Gomorrah has any righteous people living in it or whether it ought to be destroyed. Uh, and so as they leave the, uh, the dinner with uh, Abram, this is verse 17, verse, verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them, to see them on their way. Can you get this picture? Obviously, there's two angels, and one most likely is Jesus. Uh, and he's walking with them. And they love him so much. Jesus walks him so much. that now God is going to tell you what it means to be his friend. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Focus on that. Shall I hide from Abraham? What I am about to do, meaning as they're there and they're walking, the question becomes, should I share my thoughts? Should I let him know that I'm about to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? Should I do that? And what you see here is, the answer is that as the friend of Abraham, God says, yes, I will share with him what I am about to do. And so you see here, this is, a, this is a message to you today. As you have this friendship with God, all right, you have this friendship with Jesus, the Lord will share with you what's going on in your life. He will share insights with you that, frankly, people in the Old Testament didn't have. They didn't have that because of the Holy Spirit, all right? Maybe the patriarchs had it from time to time, but here you see this incredible moment, shall I hide from Abraham what, what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. They will be blessed through him. Why? Because he will be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You understand? Yes, the Jewish people are a great people. Yes, they have a great tradition. But these verses that say all people will be blessed through him do not relate to the genetic greatness of the Jewish people. It re relates to the greatness of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? So, you understand that? And so here it is, here it is in this point. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. There you have, folks, obeying God. Not just Abraham himself, but his children and his grandchildren. The ongoing commitment and obedience to God. And so now God shares with Abraham what he will do. And you know this fam famous passage uh, where Abraham begins a negotiation with God. Oh, oh, don't. Uh, oh, you're going to destroy it? Oh, no, what about if there's 50? Well, if there's 50. Okay, 
I'll do that. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about, how about 40? No, 40? Okay, I'll do it. How, wait a minute. Now that I'm thinking about it, how about 30? There may not be 40. How about 30? Okay. You see, God, what would you say? Will you please stop? <laughs> You're annoying me. I'm God. But you see how God wants that? It's like almost God wants that. God wants that. You understand? He wants to see intercessory prayer. You understand? That's what this is doing here. This is the example of intercessory prayer. Oh, no, no. 20. I finally, finally, 10. You know, when I, when I read this, the first, you know, one of the things that came to my mind, and I chuckled, this is kind of right in line with the Jewish tradition of, of being a merchant. Am I right? I could see this. You know, even though he was like the first Jew, he had it down pat. He was good. He was genetically predisposed to do this because, but you see, God loved it. God loves it. He loves to see you reaching out. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something that I personally believe this, that if Abraham went down to one, God would have gone to one. You didn't see God saying, that's it. We're not going any further. Abraham stopped. Abraham stopped. And that's the definition of intercessory prayer. You understand? And so, yes, 10, I will stop at 10. God revealing his innermost thoughts with his dear friend. And that's what he promises you. That's what he will do with you. He'll speak clearly into, and, and, and let you know that, uh, that he will do that for you. And so Jesus in these verses uh, says, it clearly lets us understand the importance of communication. Communication is the essential aspect of friendship. You have to communicate, meaning you have to leave yourself open to communicate with God. Well, how do you do that? There's only one way I know. It's praying that you, in your prayer life, you communicate with God the Father, and you tell him the things that are disturbing you, and you pray for others, and you do that, and God will com communicate with you. And in this verse 15 in this, Jesus says, Everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Underline that verse in your Bible. What does that mean? It means that every critical thing that you need to know about salvation and your relationship with God has been revealed by Jesus Christ to us. There's nothing left unrevealed. All right? There's nothing that's critical for your spiritual life that God has not revealed to you uh, through Jesus Christ and in the, through the Bible. And so God has given man the ability to choose. We can, we can choose to either accept God or reject him. That's choice. That's the, that's the essential uh, difference between God and us. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even pick a pet like that. Can you imagine going to the pet store and as you go to pick up this beautiful little pet, you pick him up and he bites you. You understand? He bites you. Then on the way home in the car, he bites you again. All right? And then you get bit again. All of a sudden, you're recognizing, you know, this pet I don't think likes me. This pet doesn't like me. And what would we do? We'd probably open the door, let the pet out, and say, yeah, have a good life. I know April's angry at me when I said that. but And yet, God does that with us. How many of us have spent our whole life doing that with God? You understand? And so he allows you time to choose him. 
He cuts you slack when you've made bad choices, but effectively he allows you that time where you sit there and you, and you can choose him. And I, I mean, I just, this amazing picture in my mind of God kind of creating us out of a lump of clay and looking there and seeing and knowing what we will do and saying, yes, this one will accept me and this one never will. Uh, and God doing this. And so this is not a friendship on a human level because I just gave you an example of a friendship on a human level where, where we would discard people who don't care for us. But God doesn't do that. He extends the rope and the time and the inclination to continue to give us opportunity after opportunity. This is a relationship between sinful man and the God of the universe. That's what this relationship is about. Uh, and this chapter is so significant as, it, as we understand it. It is not between two equals. It is never between two equals. It is only by the grace of God that he has allowed us to have this relationship. And when he says here that I chose you, what it means is he knows in his predetermination, in his foreknowledge, he knows the decisions you will make in your life. Make no mistake about this. Everyone has free will, free will, whosoever will, all right? God doesn't cut off some people and extend rope to others. He extends it to everyone. But when he says, I chose you, it means that in his foreknowledge as God Almighty, he knows the decisions that you're going to make. And when you make that decision to reach out of the muck and mire of your life, he pours his grace into your life that you can then become part of his family forever. Uh, and so we cannot dictate the terms of that friendship. Let me reiterate what I just said. You cannot dictate the terms of that relationship. Oh, that's a big deal, folks. Because the world is full of people who are so-called Christians, quote unquote, who have dictated the terms of that relationship. Well, yes, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm not bound up by all that stuff that I read in the Bible. I don't, I don't you know, come on. I don't believe that, uh, and I don't believe this, and I don't believe that. And the next thing you know, you don't believe anything, and you think you've, you're a friend of God, and you're not a friend of God. All right? You have a fake friendship, not a real friendship. You don't have a real relationship. Uh, and so what you see here is Jesus is speaking about the great, the special privilege that we have. And this special privilege here is to give our lives back to God. That's what this is about. When you are a friend of God, when you are truly a friend of God, not only do you worship him and follow his commands, but you take your life as a willing, living sacrifice, and you say, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will speak to people whenever you want me to speak. And you do it like that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the greatest privilege that you can have in, in your life. There is no greater privilege than to know that in some way God is using you. Uh, and when I look out here and I see this, uh, I want you to know that I see a whole group of people that have many, many talents. Uh, and, and so I, I feel confident that God is going to use so many of you as he's using you now. And so this, this, this statement in verse 16 where Jesus says that the Father will give us whatever we ask in his name. In other words, Jesus is showing you what happens when you're my friend. 
what happens when we have this relationship? Well, what happens here is uh, it's a two-part statement. The first part, the statement of purpose has two parts. First, be fruitful. And this whole chapter speaks about fruitfulness, how God wants to look at your life and to see all of the spiritual qualities of fruitfulness coming out. All of those qualities, the things that the world will be drawn to. And then the second part is that our prayers will be answered. Uh, and now the interesting thing about this, this the, Jesus telling us that as his friend, the Father will give you whatever you shall ask in my name. That's a tremendous statement. And it's interesting because Jesus repeats this promise uh, a total of three times. In John 14, verses 13 to 14, and we can just turn back quickly and look at that so you can see this and get continuity. John 14, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, that was the first time he said it. Then look at uh, chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. How about that? And now a third time, he says it, uh, he says it here a third time, uh, that whatever you ask uh, in his name, God will give it to you. So the question becomes, this promise, why is it repeated three times? Well, I think one answer that it's repeated three times is that uh, God is letting us know that this is an issue with us that we will be lax, that we will not be bearing as much fruit as he wants us to be, that we will not be obeying him on a regular basis. And as we do that, we will lack the fruitfulness, and lacking the fruitfulness, your prayers are not going to be answered, okay? Because you're doing your own thing. You understand? Why would God be answering your prayers if instead of doing his thing, you're doing your thing, and you're not bearing fruit? And so he's, he's warning us about that. That's why it's done three times. But I believe that there's another reason here besides this. I believe that the reason that Jesus has now repeated this a third time is that this prayer that God is speaking to us about is a different kind of prayer. This is an example of intercessory prayer. I believe that God is saying to you in this verse, in these verses, about the importance of loving one another that as he's speaking to us about loving one another, the single most important commandment, he is saying to us how critical it is for us to have intercessory prayer. Uh, and, and this is a different kind of prayer because he regards us as a friend. And so the question is, well, if we're Jesus' friend and he has a friendship with all of us here, then all of us are extremely dear to him. And so therefore, he wants us to have a broken heart when one of us suffers. When one of us has to go to the hospital, we pray to them. As one of us has issues in our lives, we pray for them. You understand? We pray with a purposefulness in our heart because we are the friend of Jesus and we know the importance of this to him. Intercessory prayer. That's why we keep the prayer list. That's why we take it as a very serious issue. Uh, we pray earnestly. And so if they're Christ's friends, wherever they are in the world, then they're your friends. You understand? All right? If they're carrying a passport for Jesus, then they're your friends. And even more so than that, as God sends us into a world, when you go to a rest stop and see somebody that's in need, 
and you recognize that this is an opportunity, that means God wants to make them a friend. And God has created a divine appointment. Uh, and, and so you see this, you see this when Jesus speaks to Peter three times. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. The third time. You understand Jesus says it three times, just like he did it three times here. Do you really love me? And now I'm angry. I'm irritated. God, why don't you hear me? Of course I love you. Do you really, though? You understand? Because if you really loved me, you would obey me. You would submit to me. And when you submit to me and understand the relationship we have as friends, as friends, you would recognize your responsibility to intercede for a lost world. And that's why he said to Peter, feed my sheep. That's what feeding my sheep is. It's not merely preaching. It's not merely, merely being heading, heading up apostolically the church. It is mean to have a heart that burdens itself for the lost of this world, that you will pray for each other, that you will pray for, for those in need. And that's what a great point for us to leave off in terms of this lesson and for the season here during the summer, understanding that God wants you to love one another. If there's one thing I hope that you remember this entire off season is how Jesus spoke about the need for love and caring and friendship and burden and intercession, all of those together in terms of uh, tied up together and yet remaining close to the cross, serving him, submitting to him. As you do that, he's going to answer your prayers. He'll be with you. He'll let you know what he's thinking. He'll share his thoughts because you are a friend of God. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this lesson. I thank you for your words, Lord. I thank you for your friendship, Father. I cannot believe that the God of the universe would want to be friends with me. Lord, we are humble as we understand this, and we want to serve you and get closer to you and represent you in every possible way. We want to take this friendship and let the lost understand what they're missing, Father. And so give us the grace to be able to go out and do it. Give us the wisdom to be able to know how to say it, Lord, and to do it in a way that's affirming and not judgmental, Father. You don't need judgmental people. You didn't call us to be judges. You called us to be love bearers. And so, Father, I ask you that you lift up our people, protect them this season, be with them in every way. Bless this class as it goes forward and bless its teacher as well as he continues to give you, give the word of God that you want serving these people. Lord, we put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.